Diamond Bands, Wedding Anniversary. We have so many, and they're all on sale at two-thirds off. That's a sale. Not sure? Not to worry. Money back, 90 days. We're confident, so you can be too. OmniJewelCrafters.com Blog Talk Radio Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Access Talk with Trish, a 30-minute weekly online radio segment dedicated to examining the good, the bad, and the reality of accessibility in our communities. And I'm your host for the show, Trish Show, disability inclusion coach, author, facilitator, and motivational speaker. A woman with a disability, but definitely not a disabled woman. The Access Talk with Trish radio show can be heard live on Wednesdays at 11.30 a.m. Eastern at accesstalkwithtrish.com or you can listen to past show recordings on demand at any time at the same address or on iTunes if that's how you roll. This show is brought to you by Changing Paces, an accessibility consulting firm that simplifies disability legislation for organizations that don't think they have the time or money for compliance. Visit changingpaces.com and nurture a culture of inclusion where everyone matters. On that note, I'd like to introduce you to my guest for this week, Brendan Buran. Brendan is the founding lawyer at Buran Law Professional Corporation. He's involved in all areas of the firm's practice and regularly provides advice to individuals, families, organizations, and government in the areas of disability and human rights law, wills and estates planning, employment law, government benefits and human rights for people with disabilities, and corporate law for nonprofit and charitable organizations. In addition to being a lawyer, Brendan teaches critical disability law at York University, is the past president of Community Living York South, and is a founding director of Plan Ontario. He's also a lawyer member of the Ontario Consent and Capacity Board. Puran Law was founded as a resource for individuals with disabilities, their families, and the community organizations that support them. Puran Law practice members are dedicated to working with individuals with disabilities and their families to ensure their social inclusion, self-actualization, and long-term security. They specialize in maximizing access to financial supports, such as the ODSP program, Ontario Disability Support Program, Passport, and other forms of individualized funding, the Registered Disability Savings Plan, and various benefits through the income tax system. They also facilitate innovative housing solutions and work with families to establish trusts and state plans that ensure continued financial stability. Quran Law firm members have received international recognition as authorities on disability issues and have spoken at hundreds of conferences and seminars on various matters related to the community. They are also actively engaged in efforts to reform and modernize the law regarding disability issues in an effort to achieve a society that promotes autonomy, personal choice, and inclusion for all. Wow, it sounds like you've been dedicated your entire career to people with disabilities and their families, Brendan. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Trish. It's wonderful to be here today. Thank you for having me as a guest on your show. Is there some personal reason you've chosen this population as your advocacy focus? Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky enough to be uh, part of the disability community for, for most of my life. Um, 
having grown up with disability in my family, I uh, had siblings with disabilities, have siblings disabilities uh, growing up. And so um, not only was I able to, to sort of learn from them uh, on, on, on a regular basis, but uh, was also able to sort of witness uh, the, the barriers and some of the challenges that, um, that they faced on a, on a daily, daily basis. So um, mm -hmm. that sort of led us down this path. And, uh, and, and, and now we've got a, a a practice and a and a job that we uh, very much enjoy enjoy doing. Beautiful, beautiful. It's just such a blessing when you get in, into a career that serves your passions, as opposed to just the paycheck. You know. Oh, I I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, um, you know, it it's it's one thing to to think about a, a, an economic return in, in 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 life, but but having a social impact, I think, is what drives uh, most of us, and it's uh, definitely at the core of uh, of what we do here at the firm. Fabulous. I understand you serve as corporate and labor and employment counsel for numerous non-for-profit organizations in the disability sector. What types of issues are you most often seeing come to light? Yeah, I mean, we, we are corporate counsel for a lot of disability organizations, and we deal with something new every day. I, I would say if uh, we sort of group them into into three three main areas, uh, the, the first would be um, just sort of on the corporate uh, the corporate governance side. Not that that's really going to be a focus too much of, of 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 today's session, but you know, just ensuring that from a governance standpoint, uh, uh, the not for profits and the the charitable organizations are um, have the right policies, practices, and procedures in place, and that they're not no issues with uh, their boards, and that everything is just sort of generally running smoothly from a corporate standpoint. Um, second, I would say um, there are a lot of matters that sort of come up um, related directly to the people that the organizations are supporting. So those could be in the area of consent capacity and legal decision making, or banking, or meet, meeting their uh, medical needs or, or housing. Um, so just a wide, wide range of issues. And third, within the labor and employment context, um, I've, I've got a partner here that sort of heads up that that part of the firm. But where where I sort of come in is is sort of and what I really enjoy doing is is working with organizations to ensure that um, they're meeting their obligations not only meeting but exceeding their obligations under the human rights code as, as well as the accessibility frontierans with disabilities act mm -hmm. um, yeah wonderful glad to see wow things are very are quite varied for you then oh yes uh there each day there's there's something new and something different but that that's what keeps uh that's what keeps the work interesting fabulous you were quoted by LATimesNews.com as saying that there are massive systemic problems with income support, legal capacity, housing, and employment. They get much less attention than they deserve. Let's give them some attention here and now. Please expand on that statement for our listeners, Brendan. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, I think I could probably go on for hours, but but there are so many issues uh, you know that that affect people with disabilities here in Canada. I think. I think um, we 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 have uh, moved. We have been moving generally in the right direction over the past uh, over the past few decades. Um, you know, our, our ratification of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities uh, back in 2010 was was very very much welcomed. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we we saw the um, the minister table legislation for us to sign on to the optional protocol, which would allow us 
to have a little bit more accountability, transparency, and a, a complaint-based mechanism in terms of meeting our obligations under the convention. Um, but that 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 doesn't mean that problems here. I mean, there are issues, there are obstacles, there, there, there are new barriers, not only existing barriers that people with disabilities face in all aspects of life, but there are new barriers that get unnecessarily created because um, when implementing law and policy, we're not necessarily applying an accessibility lens um, within the process. So you, you touched on a couple of them, um, just that, that we work on, um, you know, uh, inclusionary and affordable housing for people with disabilities is, is, is lacking. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have the stats in, in, in front of me right now, but there's a, you know, a high percentage of people with disabilities living below the poverty line. And so income security uh, is an issue uh, within certain uh, areas of, or certain, for certain people with disabilities, when we talk about their right to exercise uh, their legal capacity and make their own decisions, uh, there's discriminatory legislation across the country in place that still prohibits them from, from doing those things. So, um, um, yeah, so pl plenty of issues, but, but like I said, I think Canada is generally moving in the right direction. Glad to hear it. We're going to head out to a commercial break right now, and when we come back, we're going to talk about barrier-free environments. Sounds good. Devon has been with his company for over five years, since before his legs started giving him trouble. He loves his job, he's great at it, and he plans to stay with the company till retirement if possible. Problem is, it's getting difficult for him to walk from his desk to the washroom. His supervisor, Aisha, lets Devon know that she's noticed he's having some trouble. She suggests they move his desk closer to the entrance and the washroom. Devon is relieved and agrees. This is an example of a basic accommodation that helps make a workplace inclusive. Did you know that 50% of accommodations don't cost a dime and 80% cost $500 or less? The inclusion of people with disabilities in the workforce is the best answer to our current labor shortages. And making businesses accessible to customers with disabilities sees you tapping into their $32 billion spending power. Sound good? Then let a changing paces, warm, and friendly expert take you by the hand and walk you through the steps to making your business accessible to everyone. Visit us at changingpaces.com today. And we're back. I know you're passionate about making sure people with disabilities enjoy barrier-free environments in all aspects of their lives, Brendan. What are some of the strategies for making that happen? Mm -hmm. Well, I think from a, a, a government standpoint, I mean, on, uh, Ontario was the first province or in, in, in Canada to um, pass accessibility legislation. It, 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 the Ontarians with Disabilities Act came into force back in 2001, and its successor legislation, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, has been around since uh, since 2005. And in, in, in 2005, I think the government made a firm commitment to make Ontario accessible by the year 2025. And, and their plan in doing so was, was through the implementation of various regulations or various standards under the AODA. And, and we sort of saw the first one come into play back in uh, 2008 that related specifically to, uh, to customer service. Since mm -hmm. then, we've had, uh, we've had additional standards in the areas of um, employment, information and communications, transportation, um, built environments, and it, it, it looks like education is, 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 is on the way as well. Yay. Yeah. Cool. I understand, um, well, as you've said, that you also consult on AODA 
or Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act issues. As a professional deeply dedicated to the rights of people with disabilities, how do you feel about the AODA vision for a fully accessible Ontario by 2025? Well, I think ideologically it's 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 fantastic, and and uh, you know I wish that all provinces sort of embraced that vision. Um, I think practically there 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 have been some dis some difficulties. Um, from a strategic standpoint, uh, if we were to compare the AODA and the Human Rights Code um, here in Ontario, the, the AODA is meant to function more like a, a carrot rather than a stick. So it's the government saying, we want Ontario to be accessible and, and for all businesses in Ontario, in Ontario here, here's what you have to do to, uh, to, to assist with that. And we're going to help you do that. We're going to we're going to um, draft all of these compliance assistance materials to help you become accessible, but but the onus is on you to uh, to fulfill to fulfill your own requirements. Right. And, and unfortunately, I think what we've seen is there there hasn't been a whole lot of compliance and enforcement. And so um, I, I I don't know what the the latest statistics are in terms of organizations out there that are compliant with the AODA. But right. my guess is that. The majority of them are not, and um, without any strong uh, a, a sort of in enforcement arm or enforcement process, um, I don't see the uh, you know I, I, I don't I don't see those those organizations becoming right. compliant overnight. Right. So there there are right. tons of barriers, unfortunately, that still exist for Ontarians with disabilities. And. There are many of us who are still waiting to see those statistics. Um, yeah, ab absolutely. I know that there's another compliance report due at the end of this year, 2017. So perhaps some statistics will be uh, will be forthcoming. But uh, it would like, be nice to yeah. see some more transparency on that after absolutely. this reporting period. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, in terms of 2025, does it feel realistic to you? Well, that's a big question. I mean, I guess we're, what are we, seven years seven away? Seven years I, away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, seven yeah, years away. I, I guess we... <laughs> I guess we could we could you know sort of uh, you know have an entire session just dedicated to what does accessibility really mean? What what yeah. does, uh, you know uh, I I I don't know given where we are right now whether or not that's that's practical. I mean I'm a I'm a a glass half full type of guy, but with 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 seven years uh, to go uh, with the current enforcement or lack of enforcement right. framework in place, um, I question whether or not that goal can actually be achieved. Now, we, we, we do know that there is uh, federal legislation in the pipeline. Yes. Similar to legislation at the, at the federal level that will um, uh, impact federally regulated businesses that operate here in Ontario and, and across the country. So maybe that will, that will help. But I, I really don't think that if things remain status quo, that we will, that we will get there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of us are with you right there. Um, okay, so do you have one or two recommendations you'd like to leave with our listeners with disabilities or their caregivers about how to address their social inclusion, self-actualization, or long-term security? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've got a lot, but I mean, I, you know, just to keep things a bit succinct, um, I think, I think when people approach us to talk about um, barriers to accessibility and obstacles that they may be facing, um, especially when it comes to the provision of services, customer service, the built environment, transportation, education, um, employment, a, a lot of times people will fight the AODA. They'll say, well, you know, here's what the AODA says, and this business is not is not complying. So I, what can I do to to ensure that they comply? And what we generally say is that you know you you can file a complaint or you can file a you can inform the the directorate that, that, that there may be an issue with non-compliance, but you you don't really have an individual remedy available to you through the AODA. At the end of the at the end of the day, the Human Rights Code has been around for a long time, and the Human Rights Code. Um, uh, states that that all organizations, all businesses, have to uh, have an obligation to to accommodate uh, people with disabilities. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you're facing a barrier, not that you want to necessarily have to end up in a in a litigious environment, but I I, I do think that that people need to leverage the human rights code a little bit more than they're they're doing right now. That would sort of be. I think the first plan of attack in terms of responding to, to barriers, seeking a bit of advice with respect to, you know, what are my rights under the code and, and is my employer or is this place of business really fulfilling their obligations to accommodate me? Mm-hmm. And if, mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's some great resources out there, not only online, but there's the Human Rights Legal Support Center um, where people can And is that, is that Human Rights Legal Support Center, is it um, uh, successfully supporting complainants? I mean, I can't really necessarily speak to that because I, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't. We, we do have interaction with the center, but, but obviously, don't work there. I mean, what I can say is that I've, I've met a lot of individuals who've been able to at least get a little bit of summary advice um, from the center, okay. um, and, and there are certain cases I, that I'm aware of that the center will take on in terms of representing people before the tribunal. I mean, you know, with, with any sort of um, uh, legal aid type of clinic or, or you know, uh, public right. entity, quasi-public entity like that, I mean, uh, demand or supply definitely, you know, exceeds, uh, uh, or demand definitely exceeds supply, but, um, gotcha. you know, at, at the very least, it, it may be uh, a first point of contact for some people. Um, mm-hmm. There are there are law firms out there who will provide consultations, you know, 30-minute consultations just to help people figure out whether or not there is a case that's something that we do and, and there are a number of other firms that do that. But I would, I would uh, you know, I, I would encourage people to really, really ensure that their, their rights are being met um, when it, when it comes to uh, uh, the human rights, human rights code obligations on, on mm-hmm. business here. Yeah. And I can speak from personal experience that um, uh, filing a human rights complaint is, Completely doable. I I've been there, done that, and uh, yeah, uh, it's not as daunting that that you know it doesn't have to be as daunting necessarily than that that that, uh, that it's made out to be. And hmm. and now with the the support center out there, and with you know and a, a lot of law firms out there that that may either take on cases pro bono or have different compensation models in place. I hmm. think the system has become. Uh, a little bit more accessible for people. I can tell you when my human rights complaint, I, I couldn't find a lawyer to represent me, so I went, you know, I went without. And uh, 
it was at the federal level, the human rights. Okay. And um, it was a time, it was in the early 90s. And wow. um, so there was, there wasn't a lot of support for me. It was, there. I couldn't find a lawyer that would give me time of day. Um, whereas nowadays I see lawyers on television, on commercials. <laughs> Um, advertising for disability rights. So things have changed since the '90s, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think I think I think you're right, Trish. I think I think there are a lot more resources out there that that people can access. I mean, I don't want to I don't want people to think that it's necessarily going to be easy to, to 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 get a lawyer on right. board or to get support, but I think it's definitely easier. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I completely mm. agree. Mm -hmm. All right, so Brendan, if any of our listeners want to contact you about your services or run a question or set up a free consult, how can yep. they do that? Uh, the best way is, is to just jump on our website to, uh, to go to www.purinlaw.com and all of our contact information is there and uh, you know everything related to, uh, to, to, to what the firm does, a uh, listing of our lawyers and, and sort of their expertise and uh, and uh, yeah, just feel free to reach out. Awesome, and I see that you have a Facebook page for our Facebook fans. We absolutely do, so we do have a Facebook page. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, you can also follow us on, on Twitter at, at Brendan Purin, um, and, and we've got a LinkedIn profile as well. Beautiful, and your Facebook uh, page is Purin Law PC. Purin Law PC, correct. And PC, what does that stand for? Uh, professional Corporation. There we go. Now we know. Now we, now we can remember the P as opposed to T, you know. <laughs> yes, 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 wonderful. Anyways, actually, this has been a fabulous interview, Brendan. I really appreciate you joining me today. My pleasure, Trish. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our listeners so much for being here today with us uh, for today's episode of Access Talk with Trish a 30-minute weekly online radio segment dedicated to examining the good, the bad, and the reality of accessibility in our community. Please join us again next week, 1130 on Wednesday. This show is brought to you by Changing Paces, an accessibility consulting firm that simplifies disability legislation for organizations that don't think they have the time or the money for compliance. Visit changingpaces.com and nurture a culture of inclusion where everyone matters. Till next time, take self-care seriously, and God bless, folks. We are different from all other jewelers, but the key is our 90-day refund policy because no jeweler, that's no jeweler, offers 90 days money back, two-thirds off right now, and a 90-day money back guarantee. Confidence. OmniJewelCrafters.com.